Please remain standing for the reading of today's scripture lesson from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at the right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you as a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of these, the least of these who are members of my family, you did it for me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a blessing to get to be with each of you this morning, and it's a privilege to get to fill in the pulpit while Dr. Chapel is away. We're almost there. It's almost Advent, but not quite yet. Don't get too excited. I don't know about you, but we're still in that in-between phase at our household. I'm still full from Thursday, and I'm not ready just yet to pull out the tree. However, Jane Bradley and I did get down our inflatable Santa and reindeer for the front lawn. For me, one of the best parts of Thanksgiving week is the moments after all of the chaos. We're all full enough that the talking subsides, and we take just a moment to rest, to just sit and be for a bit. Of course, that didn't happen at my house with a three-month-old and a three-year-old, but I at least thought about what it used to be like. If you heard or sensed an extra sigh of relief today from the church, it's because this year we get a Sunday between Thanksgiving and Advent, an extra Sunday to take a deep breath as we as the church get to come together to reflect before we begin the journey to Bethlehem together. And so on this Sunday, we reflect on Christ our King, our Lord, our example of how to live in this world. 
We've been spending time together in this series looking at different call stories, reminding ourselves that God calls each and every one of us to be in service to the kingdom. God calls not just the brightest and the best, but God also calls the least and the lost and the last. God calls the ordinary to be active in his kingdom. So today we end the series by taking a look at the last words of Jesus's final discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. I have to be honest that this passage is a difficult one. It's hard because about halfway through I find myself holding back goat noises as I consider my own life. It might be popular, but I'm not looking for a career in the goat yoga industry. I'd much rather have fluffy wool and a sweet disposition, but at times I'd bet I lean more towards a a stubborn temperament and perhaps a set of horns. This is a hard passage for any of us to look at because it's a passage that causes us to stop and reflect and consider our own lives, our own actions or inactions, our intentions in our hearts. So this morning I hope to take, take some time to look at it through a lens that motivates us in a way that we might consider less what barnyard animal we may be and more about how Christ as Lord is our life is calling us into action in the world around us. To be people who live out their faith with each and every step that they take. Throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus speaks to his listeners through parables. Stories that we have likely heard time and time again. Stories that usually begin with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. Then, of course, he launches into a story that parallels the image of God's kingdom here on earth. We read them, and he talks about weeds, a mustard seed, leaven, hidden treasure. He talks on nets, on kings, and on servants, on weddings, on a fig tree, and on talents. He teaches all of these, and then towards our passage today, he makes an adjustment to his teaching. It seems he's pretty much done with parables, and he said it figuratively, now he's going to get more direct. He's gone from saying, it's like, to when. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort out the people much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The familiar task of separating the two livestock of course had its practicalities and would have spoken clearly to the listeners at the time. You're slightly more aggressive, less agreeable on one side and you're more pure and meager on the other. It was common that at the end of the day for a shepherd to take his flock in and separate the two. But Jesus is taking a look at the practice and applying it to more than just one flock. He's applying it to the whole flock, to everyone. Of course, if you read commentary, there's theological debate over who exactly Jesus was referring to when he says, all of the nations. There's argument to say that he's speaking about just the Gentiles, those who have grown up without a Jewish descent or that it could be referring to the whole nation in a more universal tone, including both Israelites and Gentiles. But regardless of who he's speaking to in the time, I believe this passage has something to say to us today 
in our walk with Christ and our daily steps of faith. It's what happens to the now separated flock and how they got there that usually makes us squirm in our seats a little bit. Jesus goes on to explain that one side of the flock will inherit the kingdom, and here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped by to visit. I was in prison and you came to see me. The goats, on the other hand, did none of these things, and the reward speaks to their inaction, perhaps. Now, I want to take a moment and agree with Robert McClellan, who said that this story is, of course, about us, but it is not faithfully told when it is told in order to incite fear. Because what do we do when we are afraid of something? When we perceive something to be fearful or threatening, we trigger, trigger our sympathetic nervous system and we have an acute stress response, many of us know this as fight or flight response. However, what happens to most of us before fight or flight is a moment of paralysis. Before we can flee or fight, we just simply stand still. We do nothing, and nothing is the exact opposite of what Jesus is calling us towards in this passage. So we must look at this passage as one to motivate, not one to fear. We know that Jesus calls us to action rather than fear in the kingdom by the parables we have read throughout Matthew. If we look at the parable that directly precedes this passage, we read about a man who is going away. And so he left three of his servants with a certain amount of his wealth. The first two went to work and ended up doubling the man's money almost instantly. The third man, however, in an effort to be as careful as possible, not wanting to lose any of the money, went and buried it to be sure to lose none of it. When the man returned, he was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done is invest in where it would have gotten a little bit of interest, said the man. Ultimately, he would say, take it away from the one who plays it safe, the one who won't go out on a limb. Jesus calls us to action. This passage today is not one to incite fear or cause us to recall each and every encounter we have had and wonder what will we be called in the end. It is intended to stir in us a desire to call upon the Holy Spirit in a way in which it may sweep over this place in us so that we may be moved to act, so that it becomes in our very nature to act as the hands and feet of Christ in all that we do. It is, of course, no mistake that Jesus, immediately after sharing that parable, launches into our passage today. The sheep and goat were not separated by their action or inaction, but I believe it was in their very nature. As Jesus shares that the sheep fed the hungry and gave drink to the thirsty, he also tells us that the sheep have a response to their actions. Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty? When did we see you sick or in prison? The goats, of course, have the same response. When, Master, did we see you? And so Jesus responds, whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked, or ignored, that was me, 
you did it to me. Neither knew who they were serving or refusing to serve. The difference was in their natural reaction to serve. Their natural response to see a need and respond with love and with grace. When they did this, they, see, they unknowingly began to see Christ in the person in front of them, to see a person made in the image of God, to see no strangers. It's an odd thing to read this passage and to think of God as a stranger, but he says it right there in the middle. I was a stranger. We've been brought up in a stranger danger culture. There is no one more dangerous than the person that we don't know. Our culture continues to instill in us that our best course of action is to divide ourselves, to dig our heels in on opposite sides, seeing each other as disposable, as someone who can be canceled in any moment, to see each other as anything but a beloved child of God. But that's just not what we are called to. That's not the kingdom Jesus is teaching about. We are called to be a people of the kingdom of heaven, people who listen, people who believe the best and see potential in one another, people who point other people towards Christ with every action, people who see Christ's reflection in others. Before we each go down the laundry list of reasons why we have either failed at being like the sheep or succeeded at being a goat, I wanna take a moment to take a look at this a little bit differently. I think it has to be possible that if Jesus were to look at me today and say, I was a stranger to you, Adam, then I must have squandered some of my time. I truly believe the only separation between stranger and friend is quality time and an open heart. But I fear our culture is discouraging that these days. If I'm a stranger to Jesus, then maybe I've neglected some of the endless possibilities I was able to be the living grace and love of Christ to others as I walked this earth. Maybe, just maybe, I've passed by some of the chances I've had to see Christ in others and to be Christ's light to them. I don't think that fully makes me a goat but I do think it should stir in each of us a desire to consider how we interact with our brothers and sisters around us. I wanna take just a moment to share with y'all what I do with our confirmation students. Just a few weeks ago, we graduated a large confirmation class. When we think about the kingdom of heaven, sometimes it becomes this distant, off in the future, unattainable reality. But I wanna take just a moment to look at it differently. When I have confirmation, conversations with our confirmation students, they each have to come and meet with a pastor. I always do something a little bit different with them. Instead of just sitting and talking, I bring them in here to the sanctuary. We talk about the space, they look around and they ask questions about all the stained glass and different things. I let them walk around and I let them climb up here into the pulpit and they get to ask me questions from the pulpit. But one of the things that we talk about is their role in God's kingdom. I tell them to imagine the whole world as just this sanctuary. And I tell them about how John Wesley, our founder, told us that we are on a journey towards sanctification, a journey of making every single decision through a lens of loving our God and loving our neighbor. And then I ask them, what would it look like if just the people in this space 
made every single decision considering how they love God and love each other. And usually, there's one student in the group that says, isn't that what heaven looks like? Friends, I think it is. And I know that Jesus calls us to be a part of his kingdom here on earth. I want to be bold and say that part of what Jesus is saying in this passage and to his listeners and to you and to me is that what you do matters. It matters to the kingdom of God. We do not need to flatter ourselves. The kingdom is the kingdom and God reigns on high no matter what. But what we do, how we live, it can be a reflection of the most powerful kingdom known. We can be a people who live it out to those to whom love is a stranger. What we do matters. How we live is impactful for more than just a moment in time. I don't know if anyone has told you lately, but Jesus loves you and you matter to the kingdom of God. Your story matters. All of this makes me think of Joshua. I love the story of Joshua taking over from Moses. Right? Moses has led the Israelites all of this time and now he has passed and in the beginning of the book, Joshua is taking over before they go into the promised land. It's been one of the most motivating bits of scripture for me, especially when you consider the context of what Joshua is doing for an entire nation of people. Eugene Peterson in his introduction to the book puts it like this. The people of Israel had been landless for nearly 500 years. The fathers Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons had been nomads in the land of Canaan. That was followed by a long period of slavery in Egypt. Then they were freed and led by Moses for 40 years. Now camped at the Jordan on the day that the book opens, Joshua had nearly half a millennium of slavery standing behind him. Joshua stands there with half a millennium of slavery behind him and he hears this from the Lord our God. Get going. Get going. Cross this river, you and all of the people. Cross to the country I'm giving to the people of Israel. I am giving you each square inch of land you set your foot on. Every single step mattered. Every single step represented an expansion of the land that was given to the nation of Israel. And friends, every single step we take as followers of Christ can be an expansion of God's kingdom here on earth. Your story matters. Your steps matter. It matters to you. It matters to this church. It matters to the kingdom of God. We are called to get going, to lead with a mindset like the sheep, instinctively seeing the world with limitless possibilities to love and to serve others. Now, none of the things that Jesus praised the sheep for doing were new or foreign. He had modeled each of them for his followers throughout the Gospels. The playbook is exactly the same today. Love God with all of your being and love your neighbor and even a stranger as yourself. It sounds simple, but with enough repetition, Christ our King, his light spreads in the world 
and maybe we'll see just a little bit less darkness around us. Friends, this is hard work, and I know that it is, but we are here to help each other. I know you didn't think you were gonna get out of here without a Jane Bradley story, so hear this story and then I'll be done. This past spring, Jane Bradley and I were fixing dinner. I was trying to get everything going when she loudly declared to me, I have to go potty. She's gonna love that that's been documented. I, of course, ushered her to the bathroom and plopped her on the seat, not wanting to burn anything. I looked at her and said, holler if you need me, I'll be right back. A few minutes passed and my focus on my steaks and my pasta were broken by a faint noise in the background. I stopped and listened and faintly heard, oh, 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 oh. The sweet little girl had thought I said, howl if you need me. <laughs> she was sitting on the potty howling for her daddy to come help her. It's a regular thing now in our household to hear a faint howl if you need a little help. Nearly every morning when she wakes up, I hear her bedroom door open and she walks to the top of the stairs and waits for me. Usually before I head up to get her, I give a little howl for fun and she howls back. But it's come to be a reminder to me. There's no chance that I'm going to make it through any day without a little help. I'm gonna need a little help from my family. I'm gonna need some help from my friends. I'm gonna need some help from my congregation. And dear Lord, I'm gonna need a little help from my Savior. And we call that grace. And it abounds in this moment and in all moments. I will certainly have moments in which I walk right by not considering all the ways in which I can be Christ's light to somebody, but I'm working on it. And I'm hoping that my goat horns get a little shorter and shorter. Friends, this journey that we are on, it is not easy. But I promise your story matters. Your love matters. And we are here for each other. We are not in this alone. All you have to do is howl and we'll come running. And this King, our Savior, he's got some grace that will change your life. It will change how you see the world and it will show the true kingdom here on earth. And that's the kingdom I want to serve with each and every step that I take. Let it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.